Anthroposopher, where we bring anthroposophy to life through interviews, conversations, and explorations. I'm Laura Scappatici, and in this episode of The Anthroposopher, we talk with Andrea de la Cruz from the youth section at the Gertianum in Dornock, Switzerland. She's been working on a research project that asks, what does the world look like in 2030 if what lives within you becomes reality? Okay, welcome, Andrea de la Cruz. We're here together. Actually, we're not here together. You're in Switzerland, and I'm in California, and you're in the youth section house there, which is amazing. So you live there, and you work there, and we were just talking about what that's like to live and work someplace and uh, receive all the people that come through and have the spiritual piece of it. Uh, So I'm just so glad that you're able to chat with me today in the midst of all the busyness there. (laughs) So am I. So am I. Thank you so much. And it's, it's just uh, wonderful to have been invited. I'm very excited. Oh, that's good. Nervous, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I'm just so glad you've joined us. And you, we are here to talk about a bunch of things today. Like, I'd just like to get to know you a little bit better. Um, and also, mm-hmm. we want to talk about the research that you're doing. So um, wonderful. Maybe we can just start with you a little bit. Um, yeah, of course. And- yeah, I mean, I recently interviewed your colleague Juan Botera, and we talked about sort of his connection to anthroposophy and how he got connected. And uh, mm-hmm. so, you, and you're from Spain. So, I, did you meet anthroposophy there, or what's been your connection? Yeah, I mean, it's funny, you know, because first of all, it's like for the whole year, this is what I've been doing. I've been on your role. So, I've been interviewing people about, you know, how who are they, where do they come from, what do they do, and so it's funny to be reversed, so I have to think like in a different <laughs> way, which is funny, um, but um, but yeah, no, I met anthroposophy, I guess, when I was three years old, because I, um, I went to Waldorf school from kindergarten all the way up to uh, high school, and I was, you know, it, it was kind of an amazing experience for me, I never... Um, yeah, I never really questioned what anthroposophy was. For me, just school was this beautiful, wonderful place where I got to meet the world and it was a second home to me. And, um, and yeah, and just a beautiful experience altogether with a lot of good memories. And then it's funny because um, the connection with anthroposophy per se as a, you know, as a way of life and maybe as a way of research and so on didn't come until three years ago, which is as long as I have been in, in Switzerland, um, purely because I, um, I was quite interested in understanding how I got to learn things when I was a child. Mm. So I was working with youth, uh, myself in the UK, where I lived and studied for 10 years before coming here. And, and yeah, and I started to question, mm, young people, how do they learn? How do they do things? Where are the young people? Oh, they're at school. Okay, so I should go and find them at school. Where was I when I was 16 or 17 or 18? Oh yeah, I was at school, at a Waldorf school. Maybe I should do a teacher training. Mm. And then everything, <laughs> everything got moving and eventually I ended up here at the Getianum as a student of the Anthroposophical Studies and I've just not been able to leave even though I was only coming here for nine months and now oh. I'm working at the youth section. So. Wow, amazing. Yeah, it's a long, long journey. So it started at three, but I would say that three years ago, I pro- properly entered uh, this amazing journey of actually finding out uh, about anthroposophy properly and using it in my, in my work. 
Wow, that's great. And, and now, you know, you're still asking these questions. So you started out asking those questions about yourself and about young people. And now you're that's asking right. more questions, right? So can you, yeah, can you tell us about that project a little bit? Yes. So, um, so actually, it's, it's very beautiful because, again, it wasn't a project that I started, but it was a project that had been waiting to be born for a long time in the youth section when Constanza Calix, the, the current leader of the section, came to Dornach and joined, joined the section and, and the Goetheanum. She'd always really wanted to do, um, yeah, the first research of the section, the youth section. So I, I, don't, know, I don't know how aware people are about the way the, the School of Spiritual Science uh, works, but you know, there are these 11 faculties or 11 sections that take care of each of their own little aspect of life. So pedagogy, agriculture, health, and so on. And then we have the youth section, which is meant to take care of this amazing impulse that young adults bring to the world. But normally, since it was founded, like uh, in 1924, the main activity has been organizing events and study groups and gatherings where young people can meet and sort of uh, share with each other and learn from each other and take initiative upon, you know, whatever it is that they want to do. And we've never, as a section, published anything or actually taken, undertaken any research. So it was a wish to kind of bring this aspect to the section for the last maybe five, six years. And then, so this kind of was held by Constanza as an open wish. <laughs> and then a year ago, a year and a bit ago, I emailed and I said that, uh, you know, I was available to do some work with the youth section while I was completing my teacher training. And um, I had already done some youth research before in Spain, where I'm from originally. And so she said, well, we want to go in depth into understanding the reality of the, uh, well, the how, how the young people from the youth section uh, experience reality today. And would you be interested in coming and designing uh, with us, with the, with the rest of the team, uh, a whole research project and this thing came about of, of understanding uh, how can we how can we apply anthroposophical well actually spiritual science to social sciences and how can we come close to young people and how can we create encounters where really we are um, working with the questions of youth but not only asking them but also answering them and coming close in this in this sense and, um, and yeah, and we designed this research, which is called uh, The Spiritual Striving of Youth, Defining Our Reality. And it's really complex and big. And wow. it has been going on since September uh, 20, 2017 now. My goodness, so, yeah, say, I mean, say the name of it again, The Spiritual Striving of Youth. Keep it, but there was more, so say it one more time. It's uh, The Spiritual Striving of Youth, Defining Our Reality. And... I guess the title is where everything is, but it's not obvious. Um, I guess what we are asking is what lives in the young person, any young person, but especially the young people who are connected to, to the youth section uh, or could be connected to the youth section easily, what lives within them, what ideas, what motivations, what, what causes them to take action, like this would be their spiritual um, activity in a way, um, and how does that influence the way they shape reality for themselves and others, but also the way in, the, in which they see reality? Um, and it sounds much more abstract than it is, but actually um, what we do is encounter 
create encounters with, with each other. In, in, normally it's me interviewing them or other young people who, who are also working as researchers with us. And what we do is actually walk through together the amazing journey of, of life and reality and what does it mean to be young in this day and age. And uh, we normally ask them to go through a biographical process where they open up to themselves in front of another peer, someone their age, someone who just welcomes them into, into, yeah, into the experience of the interview. And then we, yeah, we go through that experience of reality. Who are you, Laura, or who, who are you, Andrea, and what, what has brought you up to here? Um, and then, yeah, and then we try to understand what are those invisible things that lie behind those decisions that have shaped or those happenings that have shaped the experience of the, these young people and wow and yeah very nice that's amazing <laughs> very, so, very beautiful yeah well what what a beautiful job you have like I mean just to to talk with people and find out more about their life and about you know like how you say how they shape their reality too so their perception of it and then how they shape it so uh, I want to ask more about the actual questions but just on a practical note, where have you been and who have you been asking? That's funny because I have been mainly here in Dornach, mm -hmm. but I have been asking uh, 40 young people uh, from 23 different countries. So, so often... 40, 40 young people from 23 different countries. So they're from all over the yes, place. That's from great. all over the place. So mm -hmm. often we have met over Skype or often we have kind of created momentaneous encounters with people who were visiting the Gutianum and just taking that opportunity. I remember my first interview was, was with someone from Peru. He was here uh, to do himself a documentary about biodynamic uh, agriculture. And I met him at the youth section and I was looking for someone who would take the plunge, you know, and just like be my guinea pig. Like, can I ask you some questions? I'm testing this interview structure and so on. And he was like, yeah, sure, of course we can meet. So I grabbed him for like, you know, two hours to, to ask him all these questions. And, um, and yeah, took the opportunity to have someone from Peru who was just visiting here. But just like him, you know, there are uh, people from all over the world. We have people from Korea, from China, uh, New Zealand, Netherlands, US, of course, uh, all over South America as well, because of course, as a Spanish speaker, it was easy for me to reach those, um, yeah, those countries and, and, and it, yeah, I could say that with this project, I've been kind of everywhere without moving from Dornach because I've had, I've had the opportunity to look through their eyes to their own kind of uh, where they come from. Right. Nice. That's fantastic. Yeah. All those different places, all those different people. And could you say some of the questions? Could you share some of those? And then what are you noticing? Are you noticing any patterns emerging or, you know? Yes, of course. I mean, I should say uh, first that we are in the process of analysis now. So mm -hmm. actually, we don't have final results yet. And yeah. um, I guess our analysis is, in a way, we are interpreting results. So uh, I, it's a qualitative research. And mm -hmm. so um, actually, one of the things that we want to achieve with this is not necessarily give uh, final answers, but to invite readers of this publication to join that discussion with us, you know, what, to, to observe, one, what young people talk about, and two, how young people look at themselves through the eyes of the analysts and the researchers, and to join the discussion as well. So I'm kind of always careful about saying, this is what we're finding, and it's like this, and like this, and like this, because I want to sort of, you know, 
invite yeah. to reflect more than uh, yeah that's so great so, well it's totally different yeah. than how you would see you know like a chart with like this percentage of people are talking about addiction or this percent you know like it's like let's let's all join together and talk about yeah. what this means and what the questions are that come from that and the worldview and that that's just really that's really anthroposophical <laughs> I feel like yeah. it's just inviting <laughs> yeah. and open and more questions and you know it's just such a beautiful way to do it <laughs> that's right that's right and um, and it takes a lot of uh, work for us because actually when now we are designing the publication and uh, just before the summer holiday, to say even though we're not holiday, but <laughs> uh, we were thinking, how do we how do we do it in a way that we can really invite the the reader to to follow us with this, and of course, actually explaining the questions and how do we ask the questions is so important in order to understand the results. You know, mm -hmm. it's not exactly that. This mm -hmm. is it. You know, it's kind of like the magic of through the writing. Hopefully, we will take you through. The experience of the researcher uh, as well. We will see. This is very, of course, very anthroposophical. <laughs> in, in answer to your question about the question, this is something that is very, very exciting for us because I was giving a, a workshop recently in, uh, in the youth conference, Becoming Human. Yes. And I was telling, and I was telling them, um, uh, my participants, the participants in my workshop, that questions are like a frame, no? Like we don't, it's not about answering the question, but it's about providing a frame through which we can look at something. And the question that we chose for our research um, or that we created for this to frame the entire research uh, came from Steiner, actually. Um, mm. It was a question that uh, he posed to the young people of 1924 when they were struggling a little bit to define the youth mov movement uh, at the time. Um, you know, uh, they had a tendency to perhaps lack concreteness in what they wanted to, mm -hmm. to do. And Steiner, this is something about youth, no, perhaps. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> or, or not, actually. Or, or, not, or not, right, right. But uh, in order to help them to kind of make things more concrete for themselves, he said, he gave them this question to help them. And he said, could you imagine what the world would look like in 1935? if what you desire as young people, what you wish for as young people became a reality, he said. Because if you answer that question, what comes out of that might help uh, to define what the youth movement is. And then we were, actually it was, it was quite a long journey to get to that uh, question. It was a group in Argentina that worked with it over a weekend with Constanza and they loved the question so much that they spent two days just thinking about this. And then we as a research team thought, why not actually reformulate that question for our times today? Because it's still so open and it provides such a wide frame. We can look at so much through it that, that maybe it is the question for our research. And so uh, we rephrased it or reframed it to what would the world look like in 2030 if what lives within you becomes a reality and what are you going to do to make that happen? So mm. we... Uh, it's a big, huge question, but we, with this frame, what we are able to do is that we are able to look at the world, that which is external to us, what is happening, uh, what comes to meet us, what would the world look like, and then in 2030, which is the future, if what lives within me, which is all my inner world, and all the experiences that I carry from the past, becomes a reality, 
in the present right. and what am I going to do to make it happen? So it engages also the will and the action that, uh, that we take to, to make our ideals concrete actions. So it's a magical, magical question. Yeah, it is a magical question. I could actually, you know, we're, we're talking, we're looking at each other on Zoom right now, and I could see the magic when you say, like, this little sound about what, you know, like, it, what if it happens? How, it, then what will the world be like? Like that, there's some really powerful magic. You know, it's so interesting, because I feel like all the, um, at least in the US, like, the movies and the shows are all this dystopian future. And mm-hmm. like, who's creating with their thinking, the future that we want. I mean, every, all the media we see out there is just, you know, there's like the robots have taken over or like the zombies. There's always like some sort of non-living entity, Mm -hmm. you know? And so asking this question is just so fantastic. Uh, And wow, I feel like you could spend days and days thinking about this. Such a thing to explore. Yeah, and actually, it's funny because, of course, we don't ask the question at the interview in code with, you know, like, just, oh, hi, how are you? Tell me, what would the world look like in 2030? This is, this is completely impossible because then what we get is like, a, oh, can I think about it? I don't know. And I don't even know what I want to do with my life now. So, so it's, it's a scary, scary question. Um, and, and that's exactly what we wanted to to avoid, you know, to to create a question that just gets a ready-made answer or, or um, you know, a question that takes you to reflect and, and that we can, and, and that's why in the interviews we guide them through a journey, you know? Um, mm-hmm. So it's, it's a two-hour encounter, more or less. Mm-hmm. It's a one-hour and a half to two-hour encounter with them. And the, the, this big question is kind of broken down in a way that it allows for... I don't want to call it realistic answer, but very, very truthful answers to emerge, like answers that come from the, from the, bo- from the bottom of the heart. And that sounds very cliche, but it's really amazing what happens when uh, you say to someone, I'm here just to listen to whatever you want to talk about. And then at the end, I'm going to ask you some questions when, you, when I feel that we are ready for them. And so it's funny because in terms of like what they bring about for the future, or what they imagine that the world will be like, it's very simple and complex at the same time. You know, we, we have wishes or, or expectations that have a lot to do with ideas of, for example, unity and connectivity, human connection. Uh, there is very little, there are only very few answers that have to be like, well, I think the world will be like this or like this or like that in the sense of, uh, you know, the computers will take over or they, even though we talk a lot, for example, about technology, you know, and, and artificial intelligence and all these things that are, of course, going to come and meet us in the future. But the answers of if what lives within me becomes a reality are ideas of a, a very harmonious world in, in the sense of accepting all the differences that are out there through better connections, through much more honest, transparent ways of connecting amongst human beings and individuals mm. so yeah this is perhaps something a bit abstract but um it's, it's funny to look at a picture of the future which is very um, subtle in a way or it's not like it's not a photograph but more like the colors of a painting ready mm. to take shape <laughs> so beautiful <laughs> A great way of describing it. Yeah. yeah. Not not a photograph and all its sharpness with all its 
detail. It's, it's the painting with the colors and that's really great. And so yeah. you saw these themes of harmony and connection emerge. Mm. Did, you, did you have anybody say, well, if what's in, within me comes out, they were, they were worried or were, they, were there any like, is there anybody that struggled with that? Like they, they have like, you know, hopes and mm. wishes, but also their own shadow you know, mm. did that come at all or were they very oh, positive? Of course it did. Okay. Of course yeah. it does. Um, it's very nice because actually I should say that, um, as I said, uh, we don't ask the question. question. Right. Towards the end, we, the way in which we break down that big question is to ask three very specific questions. One is, uh, if you could find within yourself a gift that you would make to the whole world, to the, to the planet, uh, a gift that anyone could use, that everyone could have, what would this be? And this is kind of our way of finding this, what lives within me, uh, what I could give, you know? And, and you know, and he, this is an interesting uh, aspect because I wouldn't say, what we are finding so, so far is that there are two qualities of gifts that people give. Um, all of them have a lot to do for me with the idea of the consciousness soul. They, they tend to be, or to be connected to ideas of understanding, knowledge, true, hmm, yeah, true understanding. No? People don't want to just comprehend logically, but to, to understand, like we need to, to use our brains, some people say, no? like to, to be more logical, to, to really see what, what is there. And there are other gifts which, which tend to be of strength, courage, love, warmth, uh, hope, um, and so on. But in, it's very beautiful to see when, these, when people give this gift uh, that young people are not naive, you know, the people that we are coming in contact with. They are very aware that to give those gifts takes some element of, I don't want to call it sacrifice, but overcoming difficulties, right? One cannot right. just constantly be giving love. And, and it's, it's very beautiful how in, in all the interviews, um, they tend to be like, yeah, I would give a gift of togetherness, but in order to do that, then first I need to come to terms with the difficulties I have to come together with others. So right. it's really amazing how, how much recognition there is of the, of the challenges to overcoming oneself. And I would say that's what defines this this sample of people that we have chosen, they are very aware, most of them, that it starts with them, with their own uh, journey and their own actions in the world and not so much expecting the other to do something they wouldn't do themselves, but to challenge themselves and find within them the, the way to overcome that. And yeah, it's, the, the other question we ask is once they've given us the, the gift, we ask them to travel in time to 2030 and to imagine that that gift is everywhere and that everyone has it and everyone is using it. So everyone's whatever, if the gift has been togetherness and union and community, then we are imagining pictured in this future of beautiful, harmonious relationships. And then I ask them, uh, so what has changed practically in the world? You know? So that they can describe to me what they imagine that, say, education would be or whatever it is that they are interested in talking about. And then that's only a bridge question to take them back to the present and say, okay, what are you going to do now from the moment that you leave this room and this interview to achieve that future that you have envisioned out of your gift? And here it becomes uh, interesting because, of course, 
the moment that you're asked this, you are asked to confront the fact that you have to take initiative. And this is, I would say, the shadow part, you know? Like, right. how do you make concrete a very abstract uh, right. wish? Yeah. Yes. Wow. So that you're, you've given me so much to think about here. So I can imagine when you get to that third question, like you've built this beautiful picture, the person's built this beautiful picture with you um, and maybe struggled with their own issues around how, how to do that inside themselves in this picture of 2030. And then it's like, what are you going to do? And then um, what was, did you sense any feelings of powerlessness? Did people feel powerless or did they feel empowered or both or you know it's like what are you going to do and then it's like oh I don't know if I can affect or, or were they like I'm going to do this this and this <laughs> mm. um I would say that there is a bit of both uh, it really does depend on the on the individual and that's also something very important about this research that we look at every uh subject or every every individual that has contributed with their story very carefully as an individual and for example something we are finding is that there are different modes being in the present for these young people. So that perhaps modes is not a question. I would say that young people or these 18 to 35 year olds that we've been interviewing, they are at different stages in life. So there are some people who are, for example, completely, I would say in an active phase of their life, people who are defining reality very actively. So they are you know, engaged in initiatives and doing and making and transforming and putting everything out there. And then there is a number of people that we've interviewed who feel like they are waiting, you know, they are waiting, they, a, a beautiful, actually, um, a Amer North American girl said to, uh, to me, I feel like I'm waiting for something to happen in the world, like an evolution to happen, and then I'm going to step right in, but I'm waiting for my moment. And this kind of it was so beautiful to see her say that how it's not that she's not doing anything, but she's kind of actively, passively waiting, actively yeah. waiting for something to change. No. Yes. Yes. Um, yeah. So, yeah. so I guess to, to recognize that, you know, some of them are empowered in the sense that they are making, but others are waiting for the right moment for them to step in and, and, and each of them have their own way of negotiating with their action or their their responsibility with the world, I think. In the analysis part, this is where we are spending most time now to kind of understand this. It's like a wheel. You imagine like a, a wheel and imagine that it kind of rotates in itself. Like you can be at different points in this wheel. And these young people are kind of like in movement, no? Uh, and so we're trying to figure out where they are in this movement of life, where they are in this wheel in order to... And once we understand this, we're going to be able to say more specifically what it is that they are doing or how, how might the future or their activity look like. And yeah, once we understand where we stand today. Yes, got it. So, yeah. so when will we be able to see the research? Like what's the, what's the timeline and then how, how would we be able to get it? Um, yes, I so. want to read it, all of it. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. <laughs> I want to read it too. <laughs> um, well, we are um, we are working towards uh, the first manuscript or the first draft in September. We've already done sort of small presentations of some elements, and 
Uh, we are collaborating actually with Alanis Hochschule in Germany, Alanis University. Um, they are also um, working with us kind of in parallel on something else. So we are kind of coming together, everyone who has been involved in the research so far um, in September, and we are going to, to really design that publication. And I would say that probably winter 2018, because I think originally we were going to launch, well launch or like publish this summer, yeah. but it became so complex because uh, we decided to add some new elements to it that were in plans. For example, we originally we were only going to interview people from the youth section and then we added people who had non-anthroposophical backgrounds, people who, you know, we, we actually just, uh, it grew as we um, were engaged with it. So, uh, so now we are kind of delaying it a bit longer because we want it to be really thorough and really juicy so that when you read it, it's... Uh, yeah, it's substantial and, and yeah, we will see. So I would say probably autumn, winter, hopefully. Yes, great. Wow, well, we'll definitely look forward to it. I, I guess for you, like, what's the journey been like for you? Like, have you, have you experienced any changes in yourself or any, like, personal evolution through the process too? Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, I, mm, I guess this is, for me, the... I wish that I could get other young people, and actually it's not about youth, it's any person to go through the process of making oneself not available, but ready and open to receive uh, the life story of another. It completely changes you. I, I would say that I have been changed as many times as I have interviewed someone. Um, because, you know, there is, I don't know how much we should bring Steiner into into this, but the, there is this. I, I'm reminded of it because Constanza brought it lecture recently. How there is a point when he he talks in I think it's the threshold to the spiritual world. This beautiful book with the aphorisms. He's talking about how love is that moment when you cover your own eye with this veil and you let another in. And I I think I have been able to get closer to that experience with every interview in the sense that you really have to kind of mute yourself to really listen, to, to truly listen, no? not just to hear what you want to hear, not just to search for answers to your own questions, but really to, to ask at the right moment the question that that person needs in order to facilitate their journey through their experience of life. This is something which changes the one that asks because you have to leave a little bit of yourself behind and at the same time become the other and, you know, and, for me, it's been like going through the journeys with them. It has opened up my, you know, my mind, my heart to, to how incredible people are if we give them the space to really express themselves truly. And I think if we could create more situations where this happens for everyday, in everyday life, for everyone, then I think the world could be interesting in 2030. <laughs> yeah. It yeah, sounds like so. a good picture. That sounds like a good picture. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and for me, it has allowed me to kind of unite everything that I'm interested in. You know, my, my background was always in storytelling and theater making and, and production and research then came later and youth. So it's kind of like the power of your own story um, and merging art and science in a strange way and uh, giving the voice to young people which was always very important for me work this the opportunity that the youth section gave me to unite all my interests 
in one project and to continue doing this for longer is just a gift. I feel completely privileged, like amazed. <laughs> that's amazing. Blessed. Yes, mm-hmm. that's so nice. And to have that come when you're uh, you're in your twenties or you're, you know, thirties. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is a real gift to be able to unite all those things at once. Yeah, that's yes. fantastic. Okay, well, thank you. It's been such a privilege talking to you. Really, thank you so much. What's happening and. And this idea of, you know, that opening up to other stories, I think that's going to stay with me. And this picture of 2030, I, I really think everyone that's listening, you've given them so much to think about. And mm. um, thank you to the youth section and Constanza for putting this together. What a, I, hope, I hope there are events related to this or just times where people can come together and do this, do what you did for each other. Um, that would be really beautiful. I'm sure that's coming, right? <laughs> that's step yeah, two. I hope so. <laughs> I think this is only the beginning of something. We don't know exactly yet, but it's going yes. to be. But yeah, and uh, yeah, hopefully we can talk to you more about it when the results come and uh, when we publish and so on. And, and yeah, and keep people interested in this and, and what we do. Thank awesome. you so much for, Thank you. for listening. <laughs> Thanks. All right. Great talking with you. joining us today on The Anthroposopher. Stay tuned for our next episode.